We got a new mic, so I'm trying to test this out to see if it sounds. Can you hear me? Right, can you hear me? Are you awake? All right. Okay, well, um, before we started, I wanted to show you this quote. Uh, Haley Adams shared this quote with me a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> it's from the C.S. Lewis book, The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't read that book, a reminder that this is written from the perspective of a demon trying to tempt people. And he says, Be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken yet still obeys. And that, that, that so fits into the story of Job of a man who feels like he's been forsaken, who feels like all trace of God is gone, but he still obeys. I really like that. Um, so let's go start with a prayer. Father, uh, I thank you for letting us be here today and for giving me the strength and the ability to teach this class, and I pray that you'll help me do your will and to teach the truth. And you'll, you'll be with all of us today as we worship you and we focus on you. Help us to love you more every day. In your son's name we pray, amen. So also thank you to uh, Nathan, who covered for me when we were in Oklahoma. And um, Jeff, who covered for me yesterday when I was not feeling well. Or yesterday, last week. <clears throat> um, but as a, a, it's been a couple weeks, three weeks since we had one, a class on Job, so I'll give a brief review of what we learned last time. Last time we talked through um, Job's two rounds of suffering that he went through, um, how Job is he's, uh, shown as the ideal man in, in the book of Job, and he has everything taken away from him in a similar fashion. All these ideal things, he had like perfect numbers of these things, and they were taken away, like he had seven blessings that are listed, seven things were removed, and then his health was removed um, on the second one, which is a particularly meaningful thing to have happen, um, since personal sickness in the ancient world was considered absolute proof that you had done something wrong to the gods. It's one thing, like, mishaps can happen with your stuff, but if you get personally got super sick, then you were definitely a, a bad person. Um, and then even Job's wife advises him to curse God for doing this to him and just die. But Job, as we looked at, Job maintains his faith through it all and, and even says to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And we're told that in this, Job, Job did not sin. We touched a little bit on the idea that the, it's, it's kind of hard to think the fact that maybe God sometimes gives us trouble. Um, we tend to look at the book of Job as proof that Satan gives us the, the problems in life and that the evil things are, the, are what causes difficulties in our life. But as, we, as I mentioned in classes previous, I think this is actually not, is showing like, everything that happens in Job is from the point of the power, the, God is allowing this stuff to happen. He's the one who brings up to the, the Satan all these, uh, how wonderful Job is. And and uh, and that's one other reason I think that this is a more of a, a wisdom thought experiment slash parable than an actual historical event. But either way, if either way you believe it, you think of it, it still has the same ultimate story and the ultimate lesson it's teaching us. 
Uh, so we also talked a lot about the retribution principle, how, which that, that means if, it's, if you do good, you, you receive good, and if you do bad, you receive bad. The just retribution or just recompense or just, just simply justice where we talk about a lot. Um, and that any, if this doesn't happen, then justice has not been done. Un, some, it is unjust. And it's the, this is the implied philosophical stance behind the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Because when we ask that question, we're implying that only good things should happen to good people, and bad things should happen to bad people. So this is not an ancient concept that we don't have anymore. This is very much ingrained almost into our DNA, that if you do good things, your life should be good. And it doesn't make sense if it's not, or at least good in the way you think it should be good. Um, and we even struggle now with thinking things like if you're poor or if you're sick, you may, you may have made some bad decisions along the way. It's probably your fault. You did something wrong. And if you're rich, that means that God probably is on your side in some ways, shape or form. And uh, as we see in Job, that's not the case. Job was an upright man, holy and blameless in God's eyes, and bad things happened to him and... He didn't know why, and neither do we. Um, so understanding this concept is, is important to understanding the book of Job and what the point of the whole thing is. Because if you think it's just about a guy suffering and, and what Satan does to people, you're missing the point of the whole thing. And we'll, and we'll continue getting into that today a little bit. And I, I showed this graphic, and a couple people said it was really helpful as far as how this is the central core debate in the book of Job. You got these three things. God's, is God just? Is Job innocent? And does the retribution principle, is that, is that how the world works? Is that how the universe runs? We want these all to be the same, true at the same time, but they can't be. So if, if Job is innocent and the retribution principle stands, then that means God cannot be just because Job was innocent. And similarly, if God is just, and the retribution principle stands, which is the perspective of Job's friends, then that means Job must have done something wrong. But if we know that God is just, and we know that Job is innocent, then how can this thing that we're so sure is how the world works, how can that be true? So we'll, we'll continue seeing this kind of theme kind of played out over and over throughout the book. And, um, and this is really the, the, the key question that the, the challenger, the Satan, brings up to God in, in heaven is, is this a good idea? Assuming, all these, assuming God's justice and retribution principle are true, which is what is the, the way the, the book is set up, then is Job really following God because he's good or because he's getting stuff, which we'll get into a little bit as well. So... Um, before I go on, do we have any questions about this stuff so far? Okay. All right. So I want before we go on, I want to explain one more thing about the world around Israel in ancient times, in specifically Mesopotamia, but it's really this concept um, in kind of all of ancient world, and even now we'll talk about that in a minute as well. So the stuff that I'm talking about in the ancient world is we have, well, I don't want to double explain. I'll get into it more later. 
So this goes in hand, hand in hand with the retribution principle stuff we talked about last time. Um, as I mentioned a few classes ago, there are several other stories in ancient Mesopotamia, five to be exact, that have similar stories to the book of Job. Um, there, are, there are a great many differences, of course, but, and, but there are a lot of similarities between them. Uh, all of these feature an individual who's suffering, but baffled why, baffled as to why he's suffering. Um, all five have, have in, all, but, all but in one case, had this person restored to all of his stuff at the end of the, of the story. And the sufferer, in each case, laments and ponders his situation by laying his concerns before God or his friends as he tries to understand what role the gods have in his plight. Um, and this, there's not really any evidence or suggestion that these stories are copying each other in any way. It just seems to be a very common philosophical religious question at the time. And to think, come to think of it, it's, it's kind of a common philosophical question now. It's not, there's nothing new under the sun, right? We're still writing books and wondering why God allows bad things to happen to good people. It's just kind of more proof that this has always been going on. And specifically, this, this style of story was, was popular at the time as well. So in all of these other stories, as well as other historical documentation, we, we see people interacting with the gods in a very specific way. Um, and theologians today refer to this, this concept as the great symbiosis. Um, or as you might think of it now, heavenly quid pro quo. Um, it's the idea that, uh, huh? Yeah, no impeachment jokes. Christy told me. Um, <clears throat> that they believed, what this means is basically that they believed that the gods had made people as slave laborers. Um, and that because, they were t- because the gods were tired of growing their own stuff and preparing their own meals and building their own buildings or whatever, so people made or God made, God, the gods made people, and people in turn cared for the gods because they had a vested interest in doing so. And so it's this codependent relationship idea that, um, to boil it down, if, the gods, if humans serve the gods, they get taken care of. And if the gods take care of the humans, they keep getting worshipped. So they both need this stuff, and they, they, they need each other. And... Um, this, so the temples, rituals, worship, and religious obligation in the ancient world mostly boiled down to, you better do this precisely this way, or else the gods will not smile on you. And the problem was, how, however, that they, nobody really felt that they had um, true revelation from the gods about what you should do. So there's lots of hit and miss and guesswork, like... If I build the temple this way, are the gods going to be happy? And then they build the temple, and it's great crops for the year, and they're like, we did it the right way. And if, or they sacrifice something else, and some, like there's a big rainstorm, and it destroys their crops, we shouldn't do that sacrifice. And so there's a lot of this concept, it was a very petty relationship between humans and the gods. That if I don't do it just this way, or if I accidentally tread on holy ground without asking permission to the, from the gods first, and my ox dies, 
then the gods are mad at me for something I had no idea that I was doing wrong. And so this concept is the other side of the retribution principle coin because, and it kind of may, it may sound like the same thing, but it's, it's subtly different because um, if you're suffering, your kids die, you lose your land, you're sick like Job, it's because you didn't hold up your end of the bargain in some way even if you didn't realize it. And so we'll see it when we get into talking about Job's friends. That's one reason they keep probing him and asking him, are you sure you didn't do something wrong? Are you sure you didn't do this or that? Because they had this idea as well that the gods were petty and um, would punish you for something that you had no idea of what was going on. And so, whereas the retribution principle is like karma, which is like good in, good out, um, this is a codependent relationship between the gods and men about how one puts the good in. So if you, you have this good bad equation, this is how you are providing good. This mora- morality and ethics concept is not is kind of a re- relatively new idea with Judaism, I, honestly. When, when, Israel, when God pr- provided the law, there was a lot of this liturgical stuff and ceremony that had to be done, but he was also talking about your heart and your, how you behaved, which was a new concept for the world at the time. Because Pleasing the gods had very, very little to do with how good you were. It had mostly to do with were you doing the right ceremonies at the right time. And so, if you combine the retribution principle and the great symbiosis idea, what you end up with is mercenary religion. People who are carrying out their religious duties like mercenaries because they do what they need to do just to get what they want. Who, who here has ever had a job you hated? Yes, probably most everybody in here. It's like that. It's like you go to work for your paycheck. You don't like where you work. You don't like your boss. You don't like the people you work with. But you're going there and you're doing what you should do so you don't get fired, so you get your, your money at the end of the day. That's what this is. And so that's what most of the religious world at the time of the writing of this, or the time of the Israelites would have been reading this, was like. And um, it, love and dedication only mattered in as much as they got you what you wanted, which is kind of sad. Um, but I mean, if I'm going to play the devil's advocate, why, why not live life this way now? I mean, do, do we... Is this? I mean, if if this if these two things are top things are true, then it makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the only way to live, I guess. Any thoughts on that? Huh? Louder? Louder, Hannah? Glad our God isn't like that. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah.
I, 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 Right. Yeah, and I, I think that there is, honestly, there's an aspect of um, our relationship with God that there is some sort of aspect of fear. We're supposed to, we're supposed to fear God. That, that's the beginning of wisdom, as we're told. Um, I, so I think that that's an aspect of it. But, I, but this, this more speaks to, like, what's your relationship based on? Like, if your relationship with your wife is based on making her happy just so she doesn't leave you, that's not a very healthy relationship. And so I, I think that when we, I want us to look at this as this is not a good thing. I think we'd all agree with that. To have your relationship with God based on getting what you want. But we need to be very careful of the way that we approach faith with, as we're trying to bring other people to God. Especially like in the 1700s, it was like the, the, the famous uh, sermon, Sin is in the Hands of an Angry God. That has messed us up so bad. That that sermon is like so detrimental, because that bases it, it's telling people to base your religion and your faith in your faith in God and your relationship with God on fear of death, to because to get what you want so you don't get the bad thing. And as we'll as as we'll see a little bit more how Job approaches God, that's not how our relationship should be. We shouldn't be basing our relationship on, I don't want to go to hell. Or, or I want a streets of gold and a mansion in heaven. Um, it should be based on our, our love for God and who he is. Yeah. Steve, if you really think about it, you know, when, when we're working for our employer, we put in the work and then we're paid. And if we look, as you're saying, if we look at that's how our relationship with God is, We've got it backwards. Mm-hmm. God essentially already paid us. You know, he already sacrificed his son. And so it'd be like you go into your employer and they say, Steve, here's the next 30 years of payment for you working for us. Would you continue to work for 30 years or just take the money and run? <laughs> I'd, well. Probably there are people who probably do it both ways. But in, in reality, we ought to be looking at, okay, God's already paid the price. I now, out of just love and devotion for what he's shown to me, is why I, you know, worship him and devote yeah. my life to him. Yeah, that's a good point. So, with this in mind, when, when the challenger, or Hasatan, when, when he comes to God, he audits, comes to audit God, and he asks, when you think of it, it's actually a very appropriate question. It's not, it's not a trying to get under... God's skin and annoy him question when he says, does Job serve God for nothing? Because this is the attitude of the people at the time, very direct mercenary religion type of idea. And the challenger comes and, and God points out Job, how fantastic he is. And the challenger assumes this situation in, in, this, in the point of view of the story and says, basically... Um, is is Job really righteous, or is he? Are you sure, or is he just a religious mercenary? What do you think he is, God? And God's like, well, test him and see. And, and 
the only because the only way really to prove that Job is not a mercenary religious person is to take those blessings away and see if he still loves God and still follows God. So any anyone who read, reading the book of Job when this first came out <clears throat> would have assumed both of these things. <clears throat> the retribution principle, and the great symbiosis. We even have kind of a hint of this. It's kind of a red herring that the, 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 the author throws in there at the beginning about how dutifully Job sacrifices and does all of the liturgical things the right way, just in case even. And it kind of sets up this, like, this idea like, maybe Job's playing this game too, but we find out that Job is not playing this game. And he refuses to think like this. And that's one of the main differences between these other five books that I mentioned and the book of Job. Is that in the other five stories, the, other, the sufferer um, is restored to their, th- with their stuff and their blessings when they do the right thing or say the right prayer or make the right sacrifice. Basically, when they uphold this quid pro quo, they get their stuff back. But Job is the only one of these ancient authors... The ancient books that shows that this is not how things actually are supposed to go. <clears throat> so think about the, what would have happened. What would have this idea of God on trial? This name of its class. What <clears throat> if God is on trial in this situation? What would have ha- what would it have meant if Job tried to end his suffering by making the right kind of sacrifice or praying the right kind of prayer? What would have me- would that have meant for God's case? Yeah, he would have lost. Because it would have proven that Job was trying to play this game. That he was trying to play this, if I do the right thing, I get the right stuff, game. But when Job doesn't do that, kind of the only way that he could have not lost the case for God at this point is to do what he did, which is maintain his innocence and say, I did did nothing wrong, and I'm not going to try to tweak God to, to, to get what I want from him. Um, so and it got to me to thinking about how we approach God. Uh, do we ever see our relationship with God as a quid pro quo? Not ask me personally. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, re- reading extra extra scriptures so good things will happen. Yeah, well, when you're nine, I think some of us probably still do that now. Yeah. Heavenly protection racket. Yeah. Right. But we hear this all the time. We have to deal with this when we go out in the world. Uh, if you haven't heard it, you will if you try to study with somebody. Yeah, if, if, if you, you know, we got an orange Subaru recently. And I see, now I see orange Subarus. Hey, it'd be nice. 
I see, I love orange soup, it's great. I see orange soup brews everywhere now. And so if you think about this concept, you'll start seeing this absolutely everywhere. When you see movies and someone's like, they're about to die and they're like, dear God, if you're there, I'll do anything. I'll go to church for every, every week for the rest of my life or whatever. Um, you have people like the televangelists are famous for like, send your money in and God will bless you. Um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Jason? Sense of control, yeah. And I think, you know, we're going through, you know, reading the, reading through the scriptures this year, and Genesis is very clear that God is the determiner of good and evil. And over and over again, different people try to define good and evil for themselves, and, and it ends up in ruin and destruction almost immediately. And so I think if, if we try and decide this is our way to live, that's our way of deciding good and evil. Yeah, I think, I think this sense of control is big with this because so much of our life is out of our control. I mean, so much of it. And we want to have that sense of, I, I have a decision, I can, ma- I can make changes. And this, if we set our, our minds up with, with this way with God, that if I pray extra or if I give more money this week, maybe my mom's cancer will go away. Or, I mean, we played these games in our heads and what I want you guys to see with this and looking at how Job deals with things, that's not how our relationship with God should be. If you had a relationship with like this, like this with a person, that's like a job you hate. <laughs> that's not how we should be approaching our relationships with people or with God. Um, yeah. sometimes think this way even though we probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I think we, we probably end up doing this subtly without even noticing it. I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect here. I do this probably too. That, um, that I, I, I feel like that if I, I can do something and God will uh, reward me for it. But that's not, that's not how God works. Um, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on in the interest of time. We could talk about this a lot, but it will, it'll come back when we t- go through talking about what the friends talk about. So when we la- last left Job uh, in, in scriptures, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, if you want to ch- go up into Job 3. We left Job sitting on an ash pile. He had just told his wife that he sh- we should accept both blessing and difficulties from God. Um, and he seemed to be doing pretty well, all things considered, Right? His, and his friends had come from afar, didn't even, didn't even recognize him. He was such in, bad, in such bad shape. And they sit with him in the ashes for seven days without speaking. And then Job, who seemed to be doing okay, is clearly not doing okay. And he lets us know that he's really, really not doing okay. And this, this kind of launches into the poetic section of the book. Um, pretty much everything from here on out is, is really rich, complex Hebrew poetry uh, and although it's super de- super depressing, 
it's, it's really beautiful poetry. And notice that Job, when he starts out, he does not say that his righteousness was useless. He never says he wishes he hadn't bothered loving God. Nor does he demand his blessings be returned to him. So even in his utter pain, he's not playing this game. So he starts his speech by cursing the day of his birth. In Job 3, 3 through 10, he says, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll just read some excerpts. He says, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. Um, yeah, it's pretty rough, right? I wish I had never been born. The day that I was born should be cursed and put into darkness. And one thing I didn't mention that I talked to Christy on the way to church about how I really need to mention this, and I didn't. Um, she even wrote it in my notes for me. Um, this whole idea of the symbiosis thing, the, the, the concept I, back then was that the world's, the universe started with chaos. And there were chaos monsters. The Leviathan is one of these chaos monsters that's even mentioned in verse 8 here. Job, Job refers to summoning the Leviathan. And there were these chaos monsters in ancient Mesopotamia, and everything was like painful and horrible. And the gods came in, killed the chaos monsters, and cleaned up and organized, gave order to the world. We even see that exact imagery in Genesis 1, how there was chaos and then order was brought to things. Um, And so the symbiosis thing, if I serve the gods, they will keep chaos at bay. And so by not serving the gods, it's not that the gods are pounding on me, they're just letting the chaos into my life. They're letting that external world dark world come into my life. And so all of the imagery that Job uses in this first section is uh, 3 through 10 is this first part of his Job's lament. It's all referring to the fact that his life has become chaos. So he's he's basically saying, I feel like I'm without God because life, like darkness, this, it's like the uh, turning light to darkness is exactly the opposite of what God did in creation, when he said, let there be light, brought light into the chaos, and he's like, I wish my, my, the day of my birth was that way, um, and in other words, my life is chaos now, and it's, 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 I feel like I'm without God, and I, I've, I felt like that before, and I get it, I, I've, not, I've never wished the day of my birth was, like, gone. You know, I've never cursed the day of my birth. I wish that I wasn't born, but I felt like my life was in chaos and that I'm without God at times. Um, so Job moves on and then he curses the fact that he survived birth in 11 through 19. He says, why did I, why did I, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that, might, that I might be nursed? For now I would for now, or otherwise, I would be lying down in peace. I'd be asleep and at rest. Which is also super dark again. It's like, I wish I had just died when I was born, and then I'd be, happy. I'd be peaceful now. I wouldn't be in pain, physical or otherwise. 
and things would just be better. And then, um, i got to be honest with you guys, this, well, I've never wished that I had not been born, when I read this next section, it totally struck home. Um, it starts in verse 20 through, 20 through 26, when he gets into the misery of his current situation. So he's talked about, Dave, my birth should be cursed. Well, I was born too bad, I didn't die at birth, and now he's talking about how bad things are now. He says, for sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. Did I read this? What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. While we can probably empathize with Job's feelings here in different levels, doesn't this seem like a huge shift in his attitude? I mean, he was just talking about how he was like chiding his wife for saying, you should just curse God and die. And he said, we should accept good and bad. And then, then, then this, like he turns around and says this, what, what's going on with Job here? What? Stages of grief? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's not blaming God. He's just saying how he's feeling about the situation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Guilt's human. David does this all through the Psalms. Yeah. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying what he's. I'm not saying what he's doing is bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Job does go back and forth a lot. Yeah, Nathan? I think so accepting good and bad is not not synonymous with be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can accept good by throwing a party, having a celebration, having husking all the time. And you accept bad by this and by mourning and by lots of things. And, you know, my, my son... I'm always trying to find the difference between are you whiny or are you sad? It's okay to be yeah. sad, but it's not okay. It's okay to be sad, but it's okay to whine. Yeah. And, and so I think accepting bad can look like good. 
Yeah, I, I think that I think you hit the nail on the head. I think accepting that good and that we have good and bad from God, that the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What Job says in chapter one, we can. Those are easy things to have intellectually. I know that God has provided these things for me. I know that I have good. I know I have bad. I know that there's. God has some sort of reason, maybe in, uh, he's, he's wiser than me. But I still feel what I feel, and I'm still going to react to it. And it, it's a rare person who can celebrate bad things. Uh, I've got a friend who's a, a Lutheran pastor down in Loveland. I've known him since high school. He's had MS for 10 years. And he threw a party, because it's the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary of being diagnosed with MS. So he had a big party at a place in Loveland we went down to, and and he was like the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> like, you're weird. <laughs> but, you know, praise God for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy. Because what's happening here is Job is turning from saying, praise God for being God. And he's turning into himself, a little, little bit of the stages of grief type of thing. He's turning and look, now he's looking at himself. He's like, God may be good, but this really stinks. And this, I really don't want this. My life is really bad right now. Yeah. I wonder if it could be a sign, too, of how deep his faith in God really goes. Just like how we should all hopefully have at least one person in our life that we can be completely laid bare. We can say whatever we need to say, whatever we feel, without judgment or that they're going to walk away from us. And I feel like if you don't, that's, that's sad, and I hope that that can change. But we see it again with David in the Psalms, like Scott said. And I would hope that our faith and our trust in God can go deep enough that we can truly be completely open about this is awful. This is the worst thing. I wish I wouldn't even have been born. Why did you do this? Because we can know God's not going to walk away. He's not going to then take away our salvation because we said how we really and I think maybe that's the only positive. I also want to say at the end of Job 2, when the friends just sat with him, maybe that's the only good thing the friends actually yeah. did in the whole book. And something we can learn from to be able to sit and don't say anything. Just sit there. Yeah, sitting and not saying. I, the, the author, John Green, wrote a bunch of young adult, like The Fault in Our Stars and stuff like that. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and he said that he, was a, he had a job as a chaplain at a hospital when he was younger. And the guy training him as the chaplain said that, he's like, when there's grief going on, he's like, um, what do you say? Don't just do something, stand there. Just, just stay there and be quiet. Um, but to your other point, uh, I think that it is, it's, this shows a healthy relationship between God and, and Job, or from Job's perspective anyway, about just be, being honest and open like David was in the Psalms. Being open with God and, and like... This is how I feel, and I think that's good. It, it, like you said, it, hopefully you have that relationship with someone here face-to-face, but we should have that relationship with God and be honest. Like he's, God's not going to like send you to hell because you said that you're sad. You know, This is something that we need to be open with God, and I think he, he will help us through it when we're open with him. Um, but So putting yourself in Job's shoes... 
some some of us that's not too hard to do. Some that's harder to do. But I mean, say you're dealing with this suffering and this pain, and there's no reason why you can't see an end to it. You don't see a solution. What should we do when we feel this way? We feel like Job felt. Well, Job like has is expressing his feelings. I'm just saying. Say we have these feelings. What are we supposed to do, and how, or and or how can we help those who are in the middle of this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what's so important uh, for us is to be able to go there with one another and to not think that it's righteous to cover our sadness with a smile. Um, it, it's righteous to be honest with one another. Yeah, I want, I want to say what you just said. It's, it, we, don't, we shouldn't think that it's righteous to cover our sadness with a smile. I think that's really important to, to hear because we, we have this feeling that kind of back to the retribution principle thing that if you are a righteous person your life is happy and perfect and things are going great and that we don't want to we're afraid at times to be honest with each other and open up about how we're feeling about how bad things are because we're afraid that on some level we might be judged for not having enough faith it's like if you've got enough faith you're happy and that's not the case yeah And, and not worry about what we did say in the past, but worry about what we say from here on out. And be careful not to chastise someone for being sad. Yeah, we need to be careful not to have this opinion about other people. And, and yeah. I, I think building on that, we're uncomfortable when people are sad. or in, We don't know how to handle that. And we tend to then try to say, well, look at all the th- good things that are going on that you should be rejoicing about. Rather than accept, yeah, Job, bad things have happened to you, terrible things have happened to you, put your head on my shoulder, allow someone to cry on your shoulder rather than denying them the feelings that they've got. They're entitled to feel the way that they do. Allow them to go through that and help them. Yeah, that's really important too. Allow people to go through the pain and the suffering and the depression of things. Because just saying, well, but you've got a nice house, you've got great kids or whatever, that doesn't change the fact that I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. And it, it's hard. And a, a quick word about depression. While Joe was dealing with very physical things, like you can understand why he feels this way, right? There are people amongst us, myself included, who, are, who deal with depression sometimes. Like this, I, I didn't realize it, but this past six months... 
I've been just getting more and more and more and more and more, more, more depressed. I, I chalked it up to, well, I just got diagnosed with MS on top of Parkinson's. That's what's my problem. And that, I think that's part of the problem. And, but part of the problem is chemical in my brain. <laughs> I went off of a medication that I've been on for a while, and I feel like a different person this week because I wasn't on this medication anymore. So brain chemicals have a, an impact on this as well as physical circumstances. So if you know somebody who is dealing with depression, don't look at their life and go, I don't see anything wrong in your life because you don't know what's going on in their life, in their mind. It could be chemical imbalance they're dealing with and they're just trying to figure out. I mean, don't discount people's depression. Don't tell them that they just need to cheer up. Smile and the life will get better. Uh, it might, but just sit with them and allow them to have that tough time and be emp- empathetic about that. Um, so ne- that's the end of class for today. But so next week we will dig into uh, a, a little bit about uh, Job's friends and what he, they have to say about his situation. Thanks a lot.